Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Who did dumb things in high school? Anybody? Okay, like everyone? Good, all right. You guys are thinking about all those things right now. Most people did dumb things in high school. I did some dumb things in high school. Um, for instance, one time, you might not think that I did dumb things in high school, but I, I was kind of dumb in high school. But um, One time during a teacher in-service day, my friend and I were bored. You know, I think that's why we do dumb things in high school, because we're bored all the time. And so we went to uh, Fred Meyer and we bought masks. We thought this would be funny if we bought masks. So he bought a chimpanzee mask and I bought a mask of uh, George W. Bush, who was the president at the time I was in high school. And we decided to put these on and we went back to this school and we had bought a bunch of really like flashy, like teenage girl bumper stickers. They had words on them like angel and diva. And, and we took them to, <laughs> we, we took them and, and we put them on all of our teachers' cars in the parking lot as they were in in-service. We just, and we thought we were hilarious running around in these masks and slapping these things on. Some teachers saw us and kind of rolled their eyes. I'm surprised we didn't get into more trouble than we did. Yeah, I know, I know. The crazy thing was is my, um, my English teacher, Mr. Stewart, didn't take the sticker off his car like the whole year. It was this big, big black sticker on the back of his truck that said freak. And he just didn't take it off. It must, it must have resonated with him. I don't know. But, I mean, imagine if you did that at your workplace tomorrow, right? If you, if you wore, like, your favorite celebrity mask and you went around during lunchtime and you just slapped bumper stickers on all your coworkers' cars, what would happen? Would you have a job the next day? Probably not. Probably not. What I'm saying is maturity is important, right? Maturity is important. And this week we're going to continue our series called Hey Church in 1 Corinthians. And if you're new with us, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth basically deals with a laundry list of issues that affect church health. And as he gets to 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about this idea of being spiritually mature. So the thing in Corinth is that many people in Corinth had received Jesus, accepted Jesus, but they were in sort of a suspended state of growth. They weren't growing. And so their lives didn't look a whole lot different than their neighbors. You know, they were still focused on their wealth. They were still focused on sex. They were still focused on their own brand of intellectualism. Corinth was a very, like, up-and-coming cosmopolitan city. You know, it's a lot like Seattle or Vancouver. And so I want to ask, is maturity something that we value today in culture? Um, I, I was doing some research, and I found this quote from a, a great philosopher. You might know who he is. His name is Will Ferrell. Um, <laughs> Will Ferrell said this. He said, immature is a word boring people use to describe fun people. <laughs> but... Uh, but I wonder, I wonder if that's how, we, how many people look at maturity today. 
Like, maturity is boring, right? Like, why not live a life that's carefree and fun? Why, why choose to be tied down to too many responsibilities? I think we see this in our culture. That's why um, less and less people are choosing to get married today. Um, Pew Research found that 67% of people aged 18 to 19 see marriage as unimportant, like not a big deal. Uh, 53% of people between the ages of 30 and 49 say the same thing, like, eh, marriage, it's, it's not that important. And so I wonder if our culture is saying that we have a choice of the life that we can live. Either we can have a fun, unhinged, irresponsible life, or we can grow up and be mature, responsible, and it's just going to be drudgery, you know? I, think, I almost feel like that's the message that's coming through in our culture today. When Paul looks out at the church in Corinth, he sees a lot of spiritual immaturity. He sees people that should be at a point in their faith where they're, they're leading others and teaching others, um, but instead they're still struggling um, with the same basic parts of faith. They're still in the same place they were year after year. They had kind of plateaued, and uh, they still needed the same support that the, the new believers needed at this time. And so today we're going to wrestle with this question. We're going to wrestle with the question, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? And I want to be clear, I'm someone who is on this journey of maturity myself. I haven't arrived. I'm, I'm just a brother in Christ who is trying to teach the, the word, and it talks about this idea of maturity. And I've been on a journey where, where God's been teaching me maturity uh, through my life, through the years. God's working on me as well, whether it comes down to pride or or choosing my own comfort, or different things, God's been slowly working these things out of my life. I like what Oswald Chambers said. He said that God never destroys the work of his own hands. He removes what would pervert it, that is all. He says, maturity is the stage where the whole life has been brought under the control of God. And so if you believe in Jesus today, you're on your own journey of maturity in him. We're all in this process of surrendering control of our lives to God, one piece at a time, and slowly finding our life in him. And so as you think about that, we're going to look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? So Paul's at a point of frustration with the church in Corinth because they weren't maturing. They should have been, but they were sort of distracted by the world around them, by everything else that people were pursuing in the world. And so he says, I, I wanted to address you as mature believers, but I could only address you as non-spiritual people. And Paul says, he gives this contrast of giving them milk, instead of meat. And this was an idea that was true to the culture in Corinth in that time. Corinth was sort of a hotbed of philosophy. It was in Greece, really close to Athens. And Greece, if you know, uh, history is, a, is a, a place where a lot of philosophy was born. 
And so uh, in that day, different philosophers would stand out in the city of Corinth and kind of collect a crowd around them, and they would just give them their recent deep thoughts. You know, it was like deep thoughts over here and deep thoughts over here. And large crowds would come listen to what they had to say every day. It was like talk radio before they had talk radio, you know? It's like, well, what does this guy have to say today? And so those listening had sort of a rating system that they used, and if, if what the philosopher was saying was deep and original, if it was revolutionary, he would say, wow, this is meaty, this is really good stuff. But if what a speaker brought to them seemed basic and boring, if it seemed like they had heard it before, they'd say, ah, this is just milk. This is just for kids, you know? This is just kid stuff. And so when we, when, we, uh, when we talk about the church, we need both milk and meat. Um, because there is a time to be new in Christ. There's a time to be a, a, a baby in Christ. Church should be a place where those who are new to faith have the support they need to grow. You know, when a baby comes into the world, you don't just heap expectations on a baby, right? You just love that baby, right? You wouldn't bring a baby home from the hospital, tuck him in bed, you know, this newborn, and, and then you wouldn't turn out the light and say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to need you to clean your room. Like, you wouldn't do that. You know, that comes with time. And so the church is supposed to be a place that meets people with love and acceptance and forgiveness that's found in Jesus. And we want to be a church where you belong right away, where you belong right now, that there's nothing to prove, that there's no benchmarks that you have to hit. There's no mess that you have to clean up before you can be a part of the church. But at the same time, if you've received Jesus, there's also an expectation that you will grow. There's also an expectation that you will grow up in Jesus. Because if you sign on to follow Jesus, you're signing on for a life of discipleship. It's a life of following him. You're starting a journey of knowing Christ more and more each day. J.R. Briggs is a pastor in Philadelphia, and he, Philadelphia, and he talked about, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Too many syllables, man. Keep it short. Blaine, one syllable. Easy. <laughs> Just saying. Um, Philadelphia. And he talked about what this has meant for his own church. He said this, While God meets people where they are, he most certainly does not desire for them to stay where they are. We never want to communicate that our church is soft on sin, and we never desire to give people an excuse to do as they please. What we had assumed, but not clearly articulated, was that if you come as you are, Jesus will meet you there. But we had also assumed that people understood the closer we get to Jesus, the more he requires of us. In fact, he requires that we come and die with him. But the closer we get to Jesus, the more he frees us, too. So that's the idea, is that we don't just get fire insurance by accepting Jesus, that there's actually a life attached to that. There's this life of discipleship, and Jesus meets us in our places of weakness and helps us grow. This is not something that we just get really disciplined at. This is a place where we meet God, and he helps us grow. And so here's the point to, to what I'm saying. Receiving Jesus also means receiving his call to discipleship. It's not a one-time decision. It's a lifestyle. It's a life of following Jesus. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you are supposed to grow. 
more is required. In Luke 9, Jesus tells someone who comes to him and wants to be his disciple, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That if you put your hand on that plow, if you say yes to Jesus, there's an expectation that you will continue following him, that you will continue in that. And that doesn't mean we don't go through highs and lows in life. That doesn't mean that we don't struggle with doubt. But what that does mean is that we grow closer to God in the process of that. We grow closer to God in the process of the highs and lows of life. You know, I think if I asked a lot of people when they were most passionate about their faith, a lot of people would say the beginning, right? Man, I was so passionate in the beginning. And then maybe I kind of plateaued at some point. But I don't know if that's necessarily, I know that's not what God intended. You know, I think about my own relationship with my wife, Bonnie. I won't say anything, okay? I didn't clear any of this with her. No. Um, But I think about my own relationship with my wife. And, you know, in the beginning of our relationship, I was really taken by Bonnie. I was just, you know, obsessed. And I saw her through rose-colored glasses. Everything she did was wonderful. And now fast forward 16 years. I know. I'm careful. I'm careful. (laughs) You know, we, we, we've been married for almost 15 years. We've moved several times. We've had three kids. We've had career changes. We've faced challenges together. We've had difficult moments. And so the glasses might be less rosy um, for me and for her. Definitely for her. Um, but I love her more each day. Like, I'm more committed because I know her more. Like, I'm more secure in my relationship with my wife today than I was 15 years ago. Because we've been through it together. We still have our moments, of course. And every chance, you know, every, we get two hours a month now for a date, which is kind of <laughs> nice, right? We get a little more, hopefully, at some point. Uh, maybe when the kids are out of the house, I don't know. But, but yeah, but that idea is that, yes, like we've been through some struggle together, but, but we, I can say I, I love my wife more today than I did, even though I had all the, the feelings, right, for my wife in the beginning, and I still do, but the idea is that it's rooted, right? That love is rooted. It's matured. That love has matured. There's a tighter bond. And so that's similar to what Paul is saying maturity looks like in Christ, that as you grow in Christ, there should be a tighter bond. There should be more trust, more faith, that that you can look at what God has brought you to, and you can look back and see the road that you've traveled, and see God's hand through it all. And so what Paul is dealing with here at the church in Corinth is that he says, while many have received Christ, they're still of the flesh. And of the flesh is, is, it actually translates better uh, fleshy. (laughs) They're still a little fleshy. I like that better, actually. Um, But, you know, you, you can be, you can have received Jesus, but you're still a little fleshy, right? You still have little bits of, and it's kind of gross, but you still have little bits of flesh on you, you know? And uh, so where is Paul seeing this um, in the church? He gives this exhibit A of, of the, uh, the fleshiness, and he says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a, only in a human way? 
So what Paul is saying is that exhibit A of an immature church is that there's jealousy and rivalry between its people. So he's saying there's jealousy and rivalry. He's saying, hey, you church, you've brought in this jealous and competitive spirit from the world, and you've brought it into the church. Like, that's not what we're about. It's not a good look. It's not what, what Jesus looks like. And so instead of being about Jesus, you've started to create divisions uh, between yourselves, and you've started to identify yourself more with a different teacher or a different practice within uh, the faith. And he said that's that's fleshly or fleshy, I guess. Um, I'll stop saying that word. Probably some of you are probably bugged. I can tell. Um, but we live in a world that's competitive. It's it's kind of built on competition. People are always striving to be better with each other, uh, better than each other. And you know, social media has only ramped this up, right? Because then you can go online and you can look at all the great things that your friends are doing, or or those people that you left behind in high school, right? You can compare your life uh, to where they're at, and if, if they're on a, an exotic vacation, is your first thought, man, good for them? Or is your first thought, man, I wish that was me? You know? Why not me? And if we don't change, if we don't allow God to change us, then we bring that self-focused spirit into the church. And we can follow churches or people in churches um, or a model of church more than we actually follow Jesus. We can say, I want a church with the best preaching. I want a small church. I want a bigger church. I want a church in an inspiring building or the best kids programs or the best looking people, right? Um, I was hoping for a laugh, but that's okay. It's okay. The best parking lot, definitely not us. Um, you know, and in, in, in Blaine and Birch Bay alone, there are 30 churches, like just right here. And we're not here to compete with any of those churches. We are not here because we think we have things figured out. There's no spirit of rivalry. We're here to grow the, help grow the kingdom in Blaine, to help grow. Uh, we're here to follow the Lord's leaving, uh, leaving, leading, let me clarify, follow the Lord's leading, and we believe that he wants to transform this community and bring people to him. So we want to be available for that. But if we're going to be mature, then we should be a blessing to the entire church in Blaine. We should just be a blessing to, to every church in Blaine, and we should be working with each other. I've been blessed to be friends with a lot of past other pastors in town. I think if there's anything that, that guards against rivalry and jealousy it's relationship being in relationship with people and so i meet with local pastors on wednesdays to pray um, we also we also pray 6 a.m uh, we have a morning men's prayer time 6 a.m at blaine christian fellowship uh, with other churches from the community um, which you're welcome to attend but we have these times so that we can be in relationship praying for our community together you know, I don't think God's favor just rests on one church. It's his church. It's the church. So I know that I need to guard my heart. If there ever is a spirit of competitiveness or comparing, like we need to guard against that because that's not what Jesus looks like. We're all called to be on the same team. So let's look at what Paul says in verse 5. He says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? 
servants through whom you have believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And this is key. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul's saying, don't focus on leaders. Don't focus on a, on a brand of church, because it's not important. It's just what God uses to get his work done. The only thing worth focusing on is the God who makes it work. The God of the work. Nobody comes to God unless God draws him. We're just available for that work. Everybody else is a servant. Everybody else is a servant. And what this tells me is that the more mature someone is in Christ, the more they will see themselves as a servant. Serving others, loving others, blessing others. They will see themselves more as a servant, just available to do what God is asking them to do. They'll even see themselves as more of a servant than a leader. I mean, look at what, what Paul's talking about. So Apollos was probably the greatest Christian preacher of his day. He's recorded to be extremely eloquent. And then Paul is probably the greatest apostle in church history. And what he says is, we aren't anything special. We're not anything special. We're just one and the same in God's great work. Now, I have trouble with this um, because I come out of the snowflake generation, right? Any snowflakes in the house? Yeah. You know, I was taught we're all special and unique, right? We, which we are, right? Come on. But remember what Jesus said. He said, Whoever wants to become great among you must be what? A servant. Must be your servant. A huge part of maturity in Christ is seeing yourself more and more as a servant. Is waking up in the morning and asking God, what do you want me to do? What is your will for me today? What do I need to change? Who do I need to reach out to? Living life with an open hand, asking God to show you what to do. And Paul uses this image. He says, we're all just part of God's building. We're all just, all just part of God's building. First P, uh, and Peter talks about this in 1 Peter. He says that we're all living stones being built together into a spiritual house. We're all stones. We're all bricks uh, which, built, being built into this house. And we all serve a purpose as part of the building. But you're only part of the building, Right? You're only part of the building. You're not at the center of the building. You're a brick. Don't leave. You're a brick. Don't throw bricks either. But we're, you're, you're, you're a brick, and you're a brick that gets put into this spiritual house that supports others. You can think about bricks. Like, I, when we moved into our house a couple years ago, we just had these loose bricks all over our yard, and they were really annoying. You know, you trip over them. Like, bricks are useless on their own, but when they're connected together, they build beautiful structures, right? So you're a unique brick. I want you to know that. You're unique. Um, you bring something special to the house. God's gifted you uniquely. But what do bricks do? They support other bricks, right? They support other bricks. You know, if you took a brick out of the building, it would be damaged, right? Right? Things could collapse. 
There are others that are going to rely on you, just as you have relied on others in your faith. Paul says that he and Apollos were assigned to the Corinthians, like God had given them this task of being that support to the Corinthians. But what's, what gets in the way of becoming that servant? What gets in the way of becoming that support for other people? I think it could be our need for attention, right? Our need for our own glory. Actually, the most dangerous threat to your own effectiveness, your own maturity in Christ, is your need for personal glory. Um, I want to share something that, that uh, Paul David Tripp said. Um, and, the point, and, and his point is this. It's, as you grow in Christ, you're going to constantly fight your own desire for attention. Like, you're going to constantly fight your own desire for attention. And this is what uh, Paul David Tripp said. He said, when you have fallen into thinking that you're something, you want people to recognize the something that you think you are. You see it in the Pharisees, personal assessments of self-glory, always lead to glory-seeking behavior of some kind. People who think they've arrived can become all too aware of how others are responding to them. You begin to say and do things in a way that gets you the recognition that you think you deserve. So the point is that you won't be effective as a Christian if you're trying to get all the attention focused on one brick, right? You want people to focus on the house. You want people to see the house, not the brick. You want people to recognize Jesus, not you. I mean, how amazing would it be if everybody focused on just serving everyone else, supporting everyone else in Christ to be profound and beautiful? I want to read what Paul says, starting in, in verse 10, because he talks about this, this idea. He says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation— and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ, Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. God cares a lot about his church. But what is Paul saying? He's saying that your work matters. What you do for the kingdom matters. What you, the way that you grow up in Christ matters. Because one day our work will be measured. One day our work will be measured. And the only work that will last is the work that was done on the foundation of Jesus. On doing the things that Jesus asked us to do. Paul says, let each one of us take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. The reason why we don't make a great foundation is because we're only a brick, right? We're only designed to be part 
not the whole. And if you, if you take one brick and you make it the foundation of a life or the foundation of a church, what will happen to that brick? Too much weight will make it crumble. Maybe we get stressed out because we're busy trying to be someone when God simply calls us to be servants. When God simply calls us to show up, to be there, to love people. Maybe we need to rest in that foundation. You know, there are a lot of churches who have built, been built around one person's gifting. Um, there's been churches that have been built around great communicators, but what happens if that, commu- if that great communicator leader falls? Often the church falls too, because one brick can't serve as the foundation. Only Jesus can. I don't want to serve as that foundation. I don't want anyone else to serve as that foundation, just Jesus. Like if God calls me to Uruguay tomorrow, um, I'm, that's not going to happen, Bonnie, don't worry. Uh, she's like, that's not funny, man. But if God called, called us to Uruguay tomorrow, I'd expect people would just step up and, and, and fill in the gaps. You know, a brick can't hold the weight of an entire house. It needs a stronger foundation, and that foundation is Jesus. Paul says, let each one take care of how he builds on the foundation of Christ. So as we close today, think, is that what I'm doing? Have I built my life on the right foundation? Am I building my life on the foundation of Jesus? Are you spending time with God? Are you praying fervently? Are you reading God's word? Are you growing in your love for God? This is way less about duty, and it's a lot more about love, growing in your love for God. And the point is this. This is the the challenge today. Pay attention to what you're building with your life. When God measures your work, what will he find? You know, one of the things we think about, he talks about this image of building with gold versus building with hay. We can spend a lot of our times trying, a lot of the time trying to do a lot of different things for God. We can focus on quantity, but maybe what God is calling us to is quality. Maybe he's calling us to be a people that focuses on other people. You know, what if you just discipled two people, one person, through your life? You invested in that that person. That might go a lot farther than just uh, doing a bunch of things or being busy. Because... Paul says here at the end, a worship team can, can come, on, come, come on up. Sorry. I uh, need some water next time. Um, he says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So when your work is tested, what do you want to find out? What do you want God to find when your work is tested? Do you want him to find that you had built your life on Jesus? Do you want him to find that you were great in God's eyes because you became a servant for others? That you faithfully took care of the other bricks that God had called you to? That's what I want to find out. I don't want to find out that I've been wasting my life on other pursuits or selfish pursuits. I don't want to find that I was just working on little things here and there that would burn up, but I want to know that I really made a difference in the lives of others, that I really helped others grow in Christ, specific people. But I also want you to see God's grace even in that situation. 
You know, he says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, if only through fire. So I don't want you to put in question your salvation. Like, if you are in Christ, you are his. Your salvation isn't dependent on what you do. It's dependent on what Christ did. And so we don't earn our way to heaven by what we do. It still rests in the grace found at the cross. All I'm saying is I don't want to get there having just done the bare minimum. I don't want to get to heaven and just having, having done the bare minimum. I want to be a people that goes after Jesus and his mission with everything we have. With, with everything in us. 